Our gospel reading comes from Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. They were in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you are present with us this morning. That by your Holy Spirit, you are meeting us right where we are. And Lord, you long to give us what we so desperately need, which is more of you. And so, Lord, we pray as we hear from your word, that it would be more than words, Lord, that you would press these into the depths of who we are, and that we would encounter you there this morning, or that we would be changed because we have been with you. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your spirit and for your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would grab a seat. Thank you. Again, good morning. Uh, as Ryan said, as we began worship this morning, today is our Vision Sunday. Uh, and really what that means is it's an opportunity for us to kind of refocus and just to reflect on really what God is doing and who he's called us to be um, as his people in this place and in this time. And so um, the way we talk about that here at Apostles is through this simple statement that we are learning to be a community following Jesus in Houston. That's our, our vision, to be a community following Jesus in Houston. And over the past year, we've been kind of pressing into what does that really mean? And we focused on the following Jesus piece of that, really. We, we, we worked our way through Acts and, and talked about the gift of the Spirit of Jesus, this personal empowering presence in our life and, and, and what that means. And that kind of moved us towards this place where we, we want to be with Jesus. And so we talked about the practice of silence and solitude that helps us to be with Jesus. And so that, that taps into those goals that we've talked about of being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus and, and doing the kinds of things that Jesus did. And so we focused there, but this morning I want to pivot and I want us to focus on the first part of our vision. I want us to turn our attention to this idea of community, what it means to be a community. Um, and in part because I really do believe there is a crisis of community in our culture. I believe there's a crisis um, that many of us are feeling and experiencing. You know, I think uh, we've 
probably all heard these statistics about the church, about church attendance uh, in our day. You know, if, if you look back over the past you know, 60, 70 years, basically from the 1950s, church attendance in America has declined by half. It's about 50% of what it was 60 or 70 years ago. And it's interesting because you, you feel that. I think you can feel it. When I drive around our city, you, know, you see these, these dead and dying churches. You see these empty uh, uh, campuses, these buildings being turned into other things that were once houses of worship. And so, uh, you know, it's very palpable. It's very visual. What's interesting, though, is that it's not just the church. That's not uh, an experience that's unique to the church. It's interesting. Robert Putnam, uh, in his book that came out around 2000 called Bowling Alone, he talks about this reality in American life. He talks about the fact that in America, basically communities that require commitment are, are dying. Uh, and he points to things like civic organizations and clubs, and as the title of the book would suggest, things like bowling leagues. Uh, people used to be in things like bowling leagues. That was common. In fact, it's, it's interesting. When I've been here for just a few months uh, at Apostles, one day a, a couple came by. Um, no one else was here, and, and they came by, and they wanted a, a tour of the campus. And so I gave them a quick tour because they were some of the original members of the church that used to be here. Uh, the, the Baptist church that built this facility, they were members, and I think that church started back in the 1930s. And so they were just describing uh, uh, life here as a part of that church. And it was cool. They, they told me there used to be a gym on the opposite corner. They had a big basketball gym over there. And I was like, man, that's, that's too bad that's gone. I, got, I got really excited about that. Uh, there used to be a big baptistry right here with this beautiful mural back here. And so they were just telling me all these, all these things about their community. But what stood out to me is they described the fact that for them, as a part of that community, they did everything together. They used to do picnics and potlucks together. They used to go on camping trips together. And they specifically mentioned they were all part of a bowling league. The whole church would go bowling together. You know, and we, and we chuckle because that's so foreign <laughs> to us at this point. This idea that the, the, the whole, your whole life, the whole world would revolve around a community and you would do things like that. And so I, I think we, we, we feel that. We feel the change. That seems foreign to us. You know, it's interesting. I heard a fascinating statistic this week um, that really stood out to me. And I've just been thinking on it. And it's this. It's that basically about 8%, only 8% of us would be able to say we had a conversation with a neighbor. Now, maybe we're more outgoing than the average American, but the average American, only about 8% would actually be able to say over the last 12 months, they had a conversation with a neighbor. And I think it's things like that that highlight the shift in our culture when it comes to community. Um, it's even more startling when you look at things uh, like what's happening in, in kind of the, the younger generation. You know, we, we've talked about this a little bit before, but an article came out just a few weeks ago that was talking about the fact that, you know, among kind of social media savvy 20-somethings, you know, the, the rate of loneliness is off the charts compared to previous generations. In fact, it, it, it's, the fact is that one in five millennials would say they don't have any true friends. And 30% would describe themselves as lonely all the time. They just constantly feel this ache of loneliness. And so there's a crisis of community, and it's led to an epidemic of loneliness. Uh, you know, another uh, point of reference, if you saw this, the Prime Minister of Great Britain about a year and a half ago um, designated a minister of loneliness. Have you heard this? 
There's an actual office, a position in England called the Minister of Loneliness. And it was a response to a, a, a nationwide study they did on the impacts of loneliness and connections with things like anxiety and depression and suicide. And so they just found that the reality is they needed to respond. And so this is happening not just here, but all over, I think, in, in, in cultural crisis of community in our day. Now, the good news is that Jesus offers another way. That's the good news. Jesus offers a a true picture of community for us. He offers a a kind of community that's rooted in this new way of life that, that we encounter in him. And it's a way of life that invites us into a place where we can flourish and we can thrive in meaningful and deep and strong relationships with others. That's the invitation of Jesus. And so what I want to do real quick is I just want to look through some passages of Scripture at at this way of community that we find in Jesus, the way of community that we find in Jesus. So if you want to grab your Bible, I want to encourage you, we're going to move quick. We're going to kind of fly through some passages here, but they're all in Matthew, so keeping it relatively easy. But if you want to grab one of the Bibles and the seat backs in front of you or get your Bible app out, we're going to look at these passages together because I want us to observe a few things about this community uh, of Jesus. So if you want to open to you know, our Bible verse we just read, Matthew 4, 18 through 22, I'm not going to reread it. I just want you to have it in front of you because what I want you to notice is something really simple uh, is simply this, is that Jesus didn't call people to follow him individually. Jesus did not call people to follow him individually, but he called them into community. You see that right off the bat. What does he call? He calls two sets of brothers, right? He calls them immediately. They're not alone with Jesus. They're in a community. There's others kind of gathering around Jesus. And so right off the bat, we see that Jesus' invitation to follow him, he doesn't call a disciple, he calls disciples. And he invites them into a community. But we're going to go on to see that as he does that, there's a high bar of commitment. There's a high bar of commitment to Jesus' call. If you flip over and look at Matthew 8, 18 through 22. If you look at Matthew 8, Jesus there, he encounters a teacher of the law. And the teacher of the law says, I want to follow you, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He basically says to him, look, follow me is really hard. Jesus is super honest with him. He says, it's very costly. It's very costly. And then another person comes to Jesus and says, I want to follow you too, but I need to go and bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead Bury the dead. In other words, if there's anything else that you're going to do before you begin to follow me, you're not going to follow me. You've got to follow me. It's a high level. And what we see is you see some people respond to Jesus and they say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to leave everything behind. I'm going to follow you. And then we see others who encounter this high level of commitment from Jesus and they walk away. And so Jesus invites people in to this community And he invites him with a high level of commitment. And then look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It says there that Jesus called Matthew, the the author of this gospel, uh, who is a tax collector. And Jesus had dinner with Matthew and his friends, who were also tax collectors and sinners, we're told. And so I think what we see here is this community that's forming around Jesus. It's not based on how good you are. It's not based on if you're a religious person. It's not based on how spiritually mature you are. It's based on this call and this commitment to follow him. And it's interesting. Look who follows him. Matthew 10. 
Look at Matthew 10, verse 1. We're given this list here in these verses of who follows Jesus. And it lists off names. And I just want to highlight two of the names, Matthew and Simon, because we're told about them, something about them. Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot. Now, in ancient Israel, tax collectors were, uh, the Jewish tax collectors were aligned with Rome. In other words, they were collaborators with the Roman government over and oppressing their own people. So they were traitors. And then you've got Simon the Zealot, who's mentioned here in the same list. Now, zealots are like Jewish revolutionaries, right? They're the ones who are willing to kill Romans in order to free their people. And so just kind of put those two side by side in your mind. You know, it'd be, it'd be like throwing a party and having, uh, you know, uh, AOC and Trump both show up. Now, how, do you think that would be tense? You know, do you think it would be awkward? It would, and it was, to the nth degree compared to what that would be, because these people are killing each other, right? And Jesus has both of these, and there, there's all these kinds of tensions that are kind of represented here in this group of 12. And what's interesting is it does, it does cause all kinds of, 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 of arguments and, and competition among the 12, and you see that. For example, if you flip over to Matthew 20, in verse 20, you see this encounter where Jesus is approached by the mother of James and John, two of his closest followers, and she wants Jesus to name them the number one and the number two guy. And Jesus basically responds, responds this way. He says, look, if you want to be great in my community, if you want to be kind of number one, here's how you do it. You serve. You lay down your life. You give it all away for the sake of others. Because Jesus says, in this new community that I'm creating, I'm, what I'm, I'm showing you and training you to do is to become like me. And what is Jesus? He is not the one who came to be served, but to serve and give his life for others, sacrificially laying down his life, a life pervaded by love for God and for others. And so that's, that's what the community of Jesus looks like. Now, just to sum up kind of all those passages, I think this is what it tells us, the picture it gives us of community with Jesus. First, it shows us that Jesus himself lived in community. From the start, it was core to his identity and to his mission. Second, his invitation was open to anyone, open to anyone, but that it did have a high level of commitment. And then third, the aim of his community was to help people grow and mature into becoming like him, becoming like him, sacrificial servants. Now you just look at that kind of picture of communion. You stand it up against kind of ways we talk about community in our day and age. And I think it's a stark contrast to the ways that we tend to use the word community. Jesus' idea of community is very, very different. In part, uh, I think, because we tend to confuse community with a couple of different things. Um, one, I think we tend to com confuse community with connectivity. Uh, we've talked about this. We looked at this back in the fall, just the impact of technology on our lives. And the fact is that we are more connected via technology than anyone in the history of humanity has ever been. We are more connected. And yet, the point I made earlier, loneliness is on the rise. More connected, more lonely. And just to oversimplify, the way I was thinking about this this week is just, look, it's, it kind of comes down to this. The truth is that tweeting thousands of people and being followed by hundreds 
is a poor substitute for face-to-face conversation with a few friends. And a lot of people have made that trade-off. And they've confused community and connectivity. And so I think that's part of the issue. I think we've also confused chemistry for community. We've confused chemistry for community. That spark, you know, that feeling like, oh, man, this person and I really, these are my people. We really connect. This is my tribe. And so we think, oh, I've got that kind of deep connection, and that's the same as community. And that's important. That spark is important. You know, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, he talks about uh, this, uh, this phenomenon, that it's at the heart of what friendship really is. He calls it the you the too phenomenon. You know, you, you encounter someone and they, oh, you too. You feel that way too. You're, you love that too. You know, that's what you feel in a friendship, a close friendship. You know, I just, last week I got to go and visit uh, my good friend Sam, who was getting installed as the new pastor at Falls Church Anglican in D.C. And I, I got to spend a lot of time with him and hang out with him. He's one of my closest friends. And another friend of ours, Brian, came out. And, and you know, we love hanging out. We love having fun together and we laugh a lot and we laugh a lot because like them they're the funniest person they know too you know and so so when we start when we kind of get in this mode we're just, we, we are we are hilarious to ourselves everyone else thinks we're annoying but we think we're hilarious right and we, but it's this you too you know on our sense of humor we just connect and it's this deep connection but but here's the thing they're they're some of my closest friends in the world but they're not here. They live hundreds of miles away. And so they're close friends, but they're not, I'm not in community with them. I'm not sharing my life with them. Now, by contrast, you know, the reality is that um, uh, I was thinking about this this week. You know, my friend, Miss Helen. Is Miss Helen here today? I don't see her. If you know who Miss Helen is, um, she's, she's been a longtime uh, worshiper here at Apostles, and she lives right down the street. And I was just thinking about Miss Helen this week, because you know what? Miss Helen and I, you know, we don't have a lot in common. The reality is we don't have, she doesn't hang out at Heights coffee shops. She doesn't want to talk to me about college football. Uh, she doesn't really think I'm that funny. She's told me that. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, but, but the reality is that she and I, um, you know, we, we live in a neighborhood together. Uh, I see her on, on the street and we talk. She, she loves my kids. She prays with my kids. I've been in her home. You know, like we, we are not uh, connected via chemistry, but we are living in community. And so I think it just highlights this. I mean, this is my point, is that we can have community with people that we have very little chemistry with, right? And we can have a lot of chemistry with people that we have very little community with. So the sweet spot would be to have both, right? However, they're not the same. They're not the same thing. And so if community in the way of Jesus isn't um, a really simply connectivity or simply um, chemistry, what is it? It's interesting, in the New Testament, there's a Greek word for community. It's koinonia. Can you say that? Koinonia. Koinonia, it simply means fellowship among a, a group of people who share something in common. That's the simplest definition. A group of people who uh, share something in common. So, you know, CrossFit is a legitimate expression of koinonia. It's also a cult, 
but it is an expression, <laughs> an expression of koinonia. So is our kids' school around Travis Elementary here in the Heights. There's a, there's a community around that that has something in common, a dog park. It can be almost anything, you know, where, where community gathers and they share something in common. Now, what's interesting is in the New Testament, it takes this idea of koinonia and it gives it a specific meaning for the church. It's a group of people who share life and have something very important in common. And what they have in common is Jesus. It's a community that has Jesus in common. And I say that because what it means is what binds them together is not their politics. It's not their socioeconomics. It's not their cultural preference. It's not their educational background or their race or anything else. It's Jesus. He is what they have in common. And so community is right at the heart. It's right at the heart of what Jesus is about. It's core to who he is, and it's core to what it means to follow him. And I would even go so far as to say of all the practices, you know, we're, we're pressing into these different practices, learning what it means to follow Jesus. Of all the practices, I would argue silence and solitude and community, those two are the two most important because I think they facilitate all the other practices. Being with Jesus and being with a community. I think everything else flows from there. And you see this in Jesus' life. His life oscillates between two practices, these two practices of silence and solitude and of community. He would go off to the Eremos. We've talked about this, this place where he could be alone with the Father. And he would go there and he would spend this time and he would kind of go back into this rhythm and he'd go back into community. He would experience deep community with others. And he would, he would, he would kind of bounce back and forth. And I I think it just begs the question, if you were to look at our life, the patterns, the habits, the practices of our life, do you see that kind of oscillation? Do you see a deepening in the presence of the Lord and a deepening in community? Do we kind of go back and forth like Jesus? Do we follow that pattern? I think the truth is most of us, if we're really honest, we kind of hover in the middle. We're uncomfortable going too far into the depths, into the deep waters of silence and solitude. To go there into that quiet, still place with Jesus. You know, we, we prefer distraction and, and busyness and, and making sure we're being productive. And, and we're scared. We're scared to go to a place where our soul is going to be laid bare before God. And so we kind of stay over this way. And then I think the same thing happens with community on the other side. We're we're afraid to go all the way in. We, we enjoy friends and we, we come together here and we worship together in community. And maybe we're even all in on a life group, but there's a part of us that we're just, we're, we're holding back. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a place we're not willing to go because again, we're, we're nervous about letting our souls be laid bare before others. It's terrifying. And so what we do is we stay in the middle. We're scared of silence and solitude and community because they're risky. Because in both spaces we're exposed. It gets, it gets harder and harder the deeper into those places you go to hide. To hide who you really are. All the mask and all the filters, all that falls away. And you are who you are. And the reality is that's exactly what we need. 
We need to be who we are in the presence of God and in, the, in, in a loving community. As one pastor said, it, in God's conspiracy of grace, we are revealed through the gospel community. We become who we really are and we are exposed. But it's, it's about this place of getting real, of getting real with each other where we can experience all that God has called us to be and do. We can experience the fullness of his love, where we can be the best version of ourselves and the worst version of ourselves. You know, just last week, um, I took, uh, Langley and I took David Jr. to the hospital because uh, he had to have a surgery on his vocal cords. And we got, to the, we got to the hospital, we're waiting in the waiting room, and he was really anxious. He's not typically anxious. He's had like 40-some surgery in his life. He's kind of done this, been there, done this. And so he, he's just anxious. And so in, in the waiting room while we're waiting, about 30 minutes or something, I just started, I made up this game where I was like made him guess numbers behind my back or something like that. And he was loving it. And he was just like guessing all these numbers. And, of course, I made sure he got it right every time. You know, like he's a winner. You're a winner. It's amazing. Um, and, and so he was just laughing, and, and we were having a big time. We were having fun. And I, honestly, I was just like, I was like, is anybody seeing this? Because I am crushing it as a dad. Like, this is, I, this is one of those moments. This is like what dads are for, you know? Like, I was like, dad of the year award, right? And so we're, we're there, and, we're, and, and then they call us into the, into the pre-op room. We go in there, and we get in there, and he starts complaining he's got a headache. And he's complaining, and he's complaining, and the more he complains, the more frustrated I get, because I'm convinced he's just complaining to get out of the surgery. He don't want to do the surgery. And so as he's complaining, you know, Langley is, is over there just, just a picture of compassion, you know, just like loving him and caring. And then the doctor comes in, and she's like, oh, she's like, I'm so sorry, little guy, you know. And I'm like, you guys are snowed. He's got you totally fooled. And then he pukes his guts out. He pukes his little guts out, the poor little guy. He really had this terrible headache. He was really sick. And all of a sudden, I realized I'm not dad of the year. I'm, you know, blank dad. <laughs> I'm jerk dad. And, and I felt just, I felt terrible. And I wish I could say in that moment, man, I just, I just, I just repented and, and, and asked for forgiveness and said, I'm so sorry. But, you know, it took me a good 12 hours to get to that point because I was so embarrassed I was so embarrassed about the way I responded in that moment. And I, I think the reality is, is that when it comes to being who we are and totally who we are, you know, the people that we love the most, they get to see us at our best and our worst. You want to know who I really am? Ask the people that are closest because they see the best and they see the worst. I think that's why we fear intimacy. We fear intimacy because we, we, we know that if the real us was totally exposed, what, what are people going to do? How are they going to respond? And so Jesus, he's inviting us into this place of intimacy and honesty and community because he knows that's where the real change happens, though. Because until you get to the real us, you can't, you can't really open yourself up to be changed. And it takes a loving God and a loving community to do that. So that when others see us at our best and our worst, when, when all the mess comes out, it can get called out. And we can go through this process of realizing that's not who I am and that's not who I want to be. And I can repent and I can turn and I can be drawn again closer and closer and closer to Jesus. And I can become more and more and more the person I was called and made to be. And so this is why, for Jesus, community is always marked by two things. 
vulnerability and accountability. Vulnerability and accountability. In his uh, book, The Second Mountain, David Brooks says this. He says, community is woven through love-drenched accountability. Love-drenched accountability. I love that. Because that's what it is. We, we need accountability. Right? The, the reality is if all you've got is vulnerability, this, this safe place to kind of share the good and the bad, but no accountability, then there's no community to call you to something greater, to call you into who you really are, to speak truth to you. And if all you have is accountability, then it's not safe. You, you don't feel like you can be vulnerable. You feel like constantly being judged right, and critiqued, and it's not safe. And so you hold back who you really are. We are, we are called to have both vulnerability and accountability. That's what marks this way of community of Jesus. And so just in thinking about this, I think there's a really beautiful picture that Jesus gives us of a community gathered around him in vulnerability and accountability. And it, it comes down to the table, to this table. You know, the, the interesting thing is the centerpiece for, for the community of Jesus, it's not the pulpit, right? It's not the stage. It, it's not a building. It's a table. The Lord Jesus gave his people a table. And it's a place of total vulnerability and accountability. It's why the table is so closely connected in the New Testament with confession. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians, he says, look, as you come to this table, examine yourself. Examine yourself and examine your relationships with others as you gather for this meal. That's why every week we, we, we confess our sins together. I don't know, maybe that's new for you. Maybe you didn't grow up in, in a tradition you know, like, like the Anglican tradition where we have a corporate confession. But the reason that we, we do that is because as we come to this table, we confess our need for Jesus together, we, we are honest and we say, look, I messed up. I, I've fallen short. There are ways that I haven't been like Jesus this week. And so as we come, we confess. And so if we want to be a community that's marked by, by vulnerability and accountability, we will be a community of confession. That's the gift that Jesus has given us. And it's not to burden us with guilt. That's not what confession is about. It's about being able to walk together in the freedom of forgiveness that's the gift that God has given us. And so when we come to this table, we come as people who can get real with each other and with Jesus. We receive God's grace and we recommit to this covenant way of life with him where he's transforming us. You know, one of the best models, the best models of vulnerability and accountability I've ever seen actually isn't in the church. I wish it was, but it actually isn't. The best model that I've ever seen for this is actually Alcoholics Anonymous. I have a lot of friends who are, have been through AA and are in AA. And AA, if you're not familiar, was founded by followers of Jesus who were after what we're talking about. They were after a community marked by vulnerability and accountability. And they couldn't find it within the church, so they started this movement outside the church and it's grown, it's, it's around the world, and it's helped change so many lives. But at the heart of AA is confession. At the heart of it is confession. And I remember talking to a friend um, who was in AA and who loves Jesus and loves the church, but was lamenting the fact that the church is not more like AA in this regard. 
that all too often the church feels like this place you have to hide the bad parts of who you are. And because of that, even, even if as we come to this table in our minds and our hearts, it, if we're confessing our need for the Lord Jesus and his forgiveness, even if that's happening, there's just something he said that happens over a bad cup of coffee in a dimly lit, musty room of some community center somewhere that it's hard to find on a Sunday morning. Something that's more raw and more real and more transformative in so many ways. Something that happens when you can say, you can say in a community of people out loud, I'm broken and I need forgiveness and I need healing. When you can say that, you can be totally vulnerable in a community of people. And I think in some ways we've lost that in the church. I think we've lost that. I think that's why even you know, lonely people aren't just out there. There's those of us in this room that are lonely. There are lonely people in the church. And I think in part it's because we've cultivated a community where people don't feel safe, where they can't be real with each other, where they never go deep in intimacy but true intimacy comes through great vulnerability and true change comes in that kind of community. And so that's what we're after. That's what Jesus longs to give us because community is the place of transformation. And the truth is, you know, <laughs> it's risky and it's messy and it's not easy, but it's where transformation happens. And the mess is okay because you, you know what? It, you know, Jesus wants to change us. He wants us to be healed, to made whole. He, he wants his shalom to come in our lives. And so he gives us this gift of community because that's where we learn. That's where we learn to love. That's where we learn to love God and to, to love one another. And really, that's the bottom line. A community following Jesus in Houston is, is a community learning to love. And the only way we can do that is to be in Jesus' training program for love. And we're it. This is it, living in life together. It's a place where we learn how to love God and love one another. It's the lab for the seminar, right? It's, it's, the, it's the practice for the game. And it, it's essential that we be in community, real community with each other, real community with each other if we're going to be changed, if we're going to be people who are with him and becoming like him and doing the things he did. We cannot do it alone. And so Jesus invites us into community because that's where we're transformed. That's where we become family. That's where we really become family, not defined by blood or last name, but by a shared father, a shared story, and a new way to be human. That's the invitation of the Lord Jesus. That's what we were made for, life together in Christ for community. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks and praise that you are the God who created community, true community, that's centered around Jesus, that invites us to follow him and has the power to transform us into his likeness. And Lord, we need your help. 
We need you to knock down the barriers between us and you and us and each other. And Lord, I pray that, that a part of that would be helping us to be willing to take a step towards vulnerability, to creating a place here at Apostles where we don't have to show up and have it all together and put on a shiny, happy face, but we can be real. And that means we can celebrate with each other and we can grieve with each other. It means that we can confess our sin one to another and that you can heal us through that. Lord, that through our life together, you would teach us what it means to love you and to love one another.